Well, hello everyone, and welcome to the Political Pan Program. Probably the latest I have ever recorded something in my life. I am a bit behind schedule today. And by a bit behind schedule, I mean if you truly want to know when I'm recording this, I mean you probably won't see this until after 8 o'clock at night, central time anyway, if you... Because I um, got busy with stuff, had to obviously do some stuff for my new job. Today was my first actual day there on the job. Hopefully tomorrow it won't be as bad and I can get the show out sooner. But yes, so of course, uh, we got a bit of a shorter, probably be a shorter show today just because it is already almost 8 o'clock as I'm filming this, or I should say recording this episode, and as well... You know, I'm not going to hold you up on time for today, and as well, you know, I, I think, you know, also, you know, personally, going through some personal stuff with the new job, getting everything used to, but it will take some time for me and you to both get used to this new schedule. Uh, but we do have some stuff. Uh, we'll cover a little bit of the debate between Dr. Oz and Fetterman from last night. He's actually our opening clip for today, and not Joe Biden. Uh, we'll talk about California, the housing market. Uh, we'll also do Joe go in and enjoy some more Korean Jean-Pierre. Not with Peter Ducey, but with somebody else. I'm known. We'll also talk a bit about how your diet affects climate. Oh, you're going to love that one. And we'll also cover some things going on in our schools all that today on the show not to waste your time let's just jump right into it uh here is how uh the great john fetterman started his uh debate with dr oz last night for all of america to see as lieutenant governor you're running for a seat that could decide the balance of power in Washington. What qualifies you to be a U.S. Senator? You have 60 seconds. Hi, good night, everybody. I'm running to serve Pennsylvania. He's running to use Pennsylvania. And I think that's really all you need to hear. Yeah, that's that's right. That 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 is that that is that is right. And I quote, Hi, good night, everybody. Truly, truly, truly remarkable. Uh, but it, it, it gets even, even, uh, even better for everyone. Uh, the debate performance, uh, of course, was much worse than expected, according to a journalist by the name of Charlotte Alter. I'd actually seen this. Uh, yes, I spoke to Fetterman recently and expected him to be very bad tonight, but he was much worse than I expected. My take in all one place. Fetterman was already a bad debater pre-stroke. I spoke to him recently and his communication and one-on-one -on -one conversation was much clearer than what we saw tonight. What makes this even worse is Fetterman's own team sought to temper expectations before the debate, releasing a memo uh, to reporters that cited that his lingering auditory processing challenge said he will, uh, and said, we'll admit this isn't John's format. Uh, if we're 
all being honest, Oz clearly comes into Tuesday night with a huge built-in advantage. Uh, let's see this amazing, amazing statement. Hmm. <laughs> this debate is unprecedented. There's never been a closed captioned, you know, high-profile Senate race where the candidate is dealing with lingering auditory challenges. We are prepared for Oz's allies and right-wing media to circulate malicious viral videos out of the debate that try to paint John in a negative light because of his awkward pauses, missing some words, mushing other words together. Caption, uh, the captioning process may also lead to some time delays and errors in exchange between the moderator and the candidates. In fact, because the captions are going to be typed out by a human in real time on live TV, some amount of human error in the transcription is inevitable, which may cause temporary miscommunication at times. Yeah, it's called, we're trying to cover our ass for a candidate who cannot talk, cannot speak properly, and should not be in the United States Senate. I'm sorry, this isn't meant to be a sort of racist thing against, or I guess an ableist thing, or whatever you want to say, against, against the man. It's just, I'm gonna have to go with a no on, on just any overall, just anything from the uh, perspective of just Fetterman. Okay, if this isn't his format, what is? Having his interns tweet out something more on his account? Is that, is that, is that his format? Is that, is it the format that John Fetterman, a man who's supposed to be in the Senate, by the way, the Senate, uh, you know, the fucking Senate, He's literally meant to be in the Senate. Do you really think that a man that cannot properly speak, you know, do you think that he is meant to be in the in the Senate? No. No. So, yeah. I honestly am going to save you the pain of any other nonsense from the debate. As John Fetterman is a man that is a is a lifelong useless person, and that is about it. So yeah, yeah, not not the greatest showing for Mister John Fetterman. Well, moving across to the western side of the country. We bring, we bring you into the wonderful land of California. And all this isn't to reprimand some bad news. It is to bring you that California, the state of California, could officially pat, surpass Germany as the fourth largest economy in the world next year, according to a new thing from Bloomberg. Uh, official figures are due next year. Some estimates indicate the Golden State may have already caught up with Germany. One forecast cited by Bloomberg estimates that California is ahead by $72 billion. If the estimates are accurate, California will rank fourth in the world behind the U.S., China, and Japan. It will be the latest jump since it surpassed Brazil in 2014, France 2015, and the U.K. in 2017. The current uh, useless person... 
Governor Gavin Newsom attributed the state's ascent to its values and entrepreneurial spirit, adding that the state will continue doubling down on its industries of the future, like renewable and clean energy, because that's what's bringing in all the money, and not the, you know, ports that are connected to China that most of that shit comes in from that you make most of your money from. Nope, couldn't be that. Of course. The critics often say that California's best days are behind us. Reality proves otherwise. Our economic growth, our job gains, and to continue to feel the nation's economy. Yeah, that's only going to be true for now until more and more people become poor and can't afford to live in the state of California as more and more people continue to leave. I, I actually feel like eventually this thing is going to come tumbling, tumbling, tumbling down and hit California like a bag of fucking bricks. And I mean a massive bag of bricks. Speaking of getting hit with bricks, the housing market is close to falling off a cliff. So the price of residential homes could fall as much as 20% over the next year as, uh, of course, mortgage rates are high or hiking. And, of course, there is also reduced demand. Of course, they're at their highest level since 2002, and current homeowners are unlikely to purchase a new property unless it's absolute necessity. According to CBS News, housing prices were up 13% annually in August now and down from the 156 in July. The largest monthly decline in annual price growth is more than a 27-year-old history now. Uh, coming from a particular business, we expect home sales to keep falling until early next year. By that point, sales will have fallen to the incompressible minimal level. Where the only people moving homes are those with no choice due to jobs or family circumstances, said uh, Shepardson, according to CBS. Uh, discretionary buyers are disappearing rapidly in the face of the near 400 basis points increase in rates over the past year. So yeah, there's even more that the decline is coming. And it's coming fast. So... I guess now begins the wait of if you want to wait or just lets the housing market continue to fall off that cliff as it continues to nosedive off into another existence that isn't here. Well, as well, over in the White House... Of things wanting to jump off the cliff, it always seems to be that Green Jean-Pierre always has that very much depressed looks on her face of just disappointment in the amount of questions that she has to answer every day from a job that's no, no one would ever really truly want. I don't know what psychopath would ever want this job, ever, because that's just ridiculous. Because, of course... Hey, uh, the Fox News, one of Fox News's people, not Peter Ducey, but uh, Heinrich, right? Yeah, Jakey Heinrich asked uh, her about uh, about the budget relief, and here is that exchange. COVID is still a national emergency, and he said it's a necessity to deal with to make sure it doesn't become one. His answer would suggest that 
perhaps it's not a national emergency right now. So is it fair to call it a national emergency under the HEROES Act to justify student loan cancellation? So the student loan cancellation, um, first and foremost, uh, that was decided uh, by uh, uh, the appropriate agencies that that was the tool that we were going to use to make uh, to make sure that we give relief to uh, Americans that need it. Let's we should step back for a second and understand why the president took that action when it comes to the student loan. Uh, when he came into the office, clearly uh, there were uh, people, Americans who were uh, who were, you know, having a hard time dealing with the economic situation that the pandemic was causing, right? And we had the former administration who mishandled the COVID, uh, the, co the reaction to COVID, how we would move forward. Yeah, I, I would like to let everyone know every country basically mishandled COVID and as well, you guys still continue to mishandle COVID even after you guys were put in place because everybody knows the Biden administration is about as competent as a person who just started their new job. Hey, like me. Out of COVID, uh, the last administration boggled that, really. And so the president took action and made sure that people were getting shots in arms and we were moving to a place. Yeah, that's only because the literal COVID shots were literally made available in what, I think early January when you guys were first taking over, that was it. The literal thing was done before the election. It could have been easily started way back then, but no. You guys get no credit for setting up the vaccine stuff. The vaccines were already done by the early, you know, the vaccine stuff at the time when we didn't know much fully about the efficacy because, you know, no one bothered to test them properly, then, because, you you know, we, we've talked about it here on the show, if you've been following along, and, of course, this continues to prove my point over and over again, that they didn't really do much. Uh, ...where things could open, schools could open, businesses could open. And so, and so at the same time, when, as the president is thinking through uh, how, uh, how, this, how getting out of uh, this, this, this phase, that phase of the pandemic, there's the student loans. There are people who, uh, who, who uh, are really squeezed uh, by the pandemic. And so he wanted to make sure that when we lift up the pause, that we gave people a little bit more breathing room. And that is where the student debt relief uh, comes from. And we understand once that once that pause is lifted, there's still going to be people who are going to have a difficult time. And so we're just because we're in a different phase of the pandemic, as the president has said, COVID is still a problem. And so uh, and so that's how we came to that decision to move forward uh, with our assessment on how we're going to provide that student relief to middle class Americans. And also, let's not forget, 90 percent of borrowers who are going to be receiving this debt relief are making less than seventy five thousand dollars. That's actually not true. The most people that are actually going to be benefiting from this are actually the most are higher end people that just didn't bother to pay it off anyway. So yeah, no, actually just going to be giving more money to those people than those that are actually lower to the fact that these are all only for federal income ones or the federal ones, none of the private ones. Those ones got shellacked and basically executed in a back alleyway.
a year. Uh, and so all of that matters. When you're lifting up something and you're, and you're you, when you're lifting up a pause that has been lifted for about three years, knowing that uh, the pandemic has been a problem, knowing that COVID is continuing to be a problem. If COVID is still a problem, why did the President of the United States say in the 60 Minutes interview that, COVID, that the COVID pandemic is over, therefore completely unjustifying this $1 trillion spending boondoggle? Uh, knowing what the American people, middle class families, have had to go through, the president was trying to uh, making sure that uh, he didn't leave anyone behind and making sure that he didn't forget those middle class families. I, I hear what you're saying on all that. I guess my question is, is there another, perhaps a better mechanism to do that? Because the, the whole program is caught up now in litigation, and a, a lot of this legal argument is that it can't be a national emergency because of actions that the administration has taken elsewhere. So, so I, I wonder... So I actually disagree with you. What is happening is there are opponents out there of the student loan debt relief who do not want to give middle-class families a little bit more breathing room. There are opponents out there, many of them are Republicans. Actually, majority of the people that are really struggling with the borrowing are people who spend way too much money anyway or went into debt to go into a job that was never really going to help them with anything in life anyway. Your little gender studies degree isn't going to get you anywhere at all, and most middle class people don't want to pay your bills either. I don't want to pay for your degree. You're the one who took it. You're the one who signed the paperwork. You're the one who agreed to it. You can pay off your debt, not me. All right. I want to stay debt-free, and I don't want your debt. You can have it. Who, are, who do not want us to make sure that those 90% of Americans who are making 75000 or less are getting that actual benefit to be able to put money down on a house, to be able to start a family. They are upset that we are trying to help those very, very Americans. So that is what is happening. This is pure politics that we're, ha we're seeing out, out there. It is not, and the president, the way the president sees this, this is not partisan. On the national emergency front then, what is the criteria the country would have to meet for it not to be a national emergency, or is that even a goal? So here's the thing. We cannot forget that COVID is still a problem. We just had Dr. Jacques here talking to all of you. He wanted to be here, and we wanted him to be to all of you because you guys communicate uh, with the American people. And we want, we want that the American people to know that there is a new vaccine out there and they need to get that shot in the arm uh, because that new vaccine is going to help them ahead of the winter months. So clearly, COVID is still a problem. We're trying can we see some data on that? Can we see some effective rates? Can we see like the studies that they did, the backups, you know, like I'm not asking, you know, I'm not questioning them. I, I just, you know, I, or I, I'm questioning them, but not in their, you know, uh, the vaccine overall. I, I just, I need some data to back up your claim here. G gonna need something from from good old Pfizer. Trying to communicate very clearly with the American people how important it is uh, to continue to get that vaccine. So you have you have the, the COVID response director here, you have the president who in front of the American people took his shot to send a message. So again, we are, we are still dealing with COVID. We're trying to do everything that we can to make sure that it continues to not be a disruptor, right? And the reason that it's not a disruptor is because of the work that this president has done in the last 20 months. Okay, I'm gonna move on, go ahead. Okay, first off, 
What person? Okay, that watched the thing the other day of President Joe Biden getting another shot in his arm. I was like, you know, because the president went and got another shot in his arm, I'm gonna go also and get another shot in the arm. Like, who, who was like, yeah, that that's that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go get my shot in the arm it's because the president went and got a shot in his arm. I'm gonna be real honest. Even if it was like President Trump or President, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, President, uh, goddamn, uh, Trump, President Trump or President Biden, either one of them, I, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, uh, I, I, I still wouldn't, you know, it's like, I don't think people understand, but to me, just because, just because somebody tweets out that, uh, that the like overall people around the around the world like it, no matter who the famous person is i'm not just going to go do something because somebody said something like i, I would want to look into it myself you know i'm on to see things you know I, i'd want to understand what's going on i want to you know most likely you know figure out what people are like looking at what's the data what's the stuff behind it you know, or there's maybe some other, like, stuff that I maybe will, you know, go and I'll do just because. But I think the idea behind the whole thing there is just ridiculous in its face of what it's all about. So, yeah. Not, not the greatest response. Well, New York, for once, finally has a actual good good thing coming out of it. New York court on Monday ordered the reinstatement of New York City employees fired for being unvaccinated and also ruled they are entitled to back pay. The court's ruling and appeal was filed Tuesday by the state's uh, appellate division. The court granted a petition against the Democrat city mayor uh, Eric Adams and other city officials and departments saying the city-wide uh, mandate requiring public employees to get the COVID-19 vaccine as a condition of their employment later exempting uh, athletes and performers is arbitrary and capricious or capricious whatever you know the word mayor in march said the uh, exemption was needed because new york city heavily reliant on tourism has to function being healthy is not just about being physically healthy but being economically uh, healthy we're leading the entire country for the most part in unemployment uh, we're seeing unbelievable vaccines or vacancies, I should say, in our business district. The city's vaccine mandate, which resulted in more than 1,400 people getting fired, still applies to uh, municipal and other private sector workers. Adams said he wasn't planning on rehiring them. Uh, the decision made many folks furious, but now Adams may be forced to bring them back on, which could be a big change, to say the least. So it should be interesting to see the overall change that'll be happening and to the many people that are getting hired uh back congratulations on getting back out there into the your careers and hopefully you'll maybe you know be just fine with not having to get the vaccines if you don't want to i it's what I, I you know what if people are gonna be this way i just don't care anymore if the world gets nuked tomorrow i just don't care anymore people can get the vaccine if they want Listen, I got it back then. 
uh, I, I got it back then just to be able to also get the money from my job for it, but as well as I just figured it would get mandated anyway. And I really didn't mind going and getting it. It's not like it was that painful or that, you know, big of a deal. I was just like, fine, I, I want a little bit of protection from COVID. Not that I was scared of COVID really ever, besides like maybe like for a few weeks. I was just like, fuck it, I'll just get something. If it helps, it helps. Doesn't, it doesn't. Well, something that no one has had ever expected to see coming. So, if you know YouTube because of the whole iPhone stuff, the whole album, that's the only reason why I know who YouTube is. I've never heard their music. Maybe that's just because of how young I am. Maybe that's why. But okay, so the lead singer for YouTube, Bono, has realized something that I don't think anybody had ever seen coming. He realized that redistribution of resources won't help poor people the way that commerce and entrepreneurial capitalism will help them. The musician and humanitarian made the comments during an interview with the New York Times published Monday, where he talked about uh, starting out as a left-wing activist, but eventually realizing that capitalism helps most poor people. In a quote, I ended up as an activist in various uh, in very different places from where I started. I thought that if we just redistributed resources that we could solve every problem. I now know that's not true. There's a funny moment when you realize that that as an activist, the off-ramp out of extreme poverty is a commerce. It's entrepreneurial capitalism. I spend a lot of time in countries all over Africa. And there's like, uh, we wouldn't mind a little more globalization. Actually, I'd point out that there has been a lot of progress over the years. Uh, capitalism is a wild beast. We need to tame it, Bono said. Bono, uh, but globalization has brought more people out of poverty than any other uh, ism. If somebody uh, comes to me with a better idea, I'll sign up. I didn't grow up to like the idea that we've made heroes out of business people, but if you're bringing jobs to a community and treating people well, then you are a hero. That's where I ended up. So, yeah. Uh, to finish off, uh, we we have a snobby attitude about business and big business. We sort of demonize it, he said. And actually, you know, you go to the developing world and jobs are the most dignifying thing you could offer somebody because people have uh, people have work. They can sort out their own problems. Exactly. Just giving people stuff just makes them defend, dependent and then when the money runs out, people get angry at you and you just have to take it up your ass. Believe me, the best thing you can offer, and one thing is, a lot of people look at you when you just keep offering them money. Sure, they may like it, but one thing is, people will be like, you don't think I can't work for you? You call me lazy? You, you call me that I have to rely on you so much that I, I need to rely on you for all my money? I need to rely on you for everything that I have? Fuck you. You know, I'll go and I'll get my own damn stuff. You know, and when these companies go over and they offer, you know, help, they realize that, well, all these other companies that are just coming in and offering people a job that may not be, you know, the best wages, but they're, you know, fair enough wages where people can start to make a living and, you know, actually, you know, get by and have a life, they realize that, oh, wow, they're actually doing a lot. And what they find is a lot of those different charities that people donate to that say they're helping out the the world ends 
I'm finding out that all that money just ends up going into the government that they hope will redistribute it amongst the people and where it's needed. But it ends up being that a lot of those companies are, are companies, not companies, but the countries are corrupt and they don't end up giving that, uh, redistributing that money out to their people and end up just using it for whatever the hell they want, just cycling in and funding these countries' economies instead of actually bringing in people or actually bringing in, you know, better economic futures for the people of the country and not just for the government government officials lining their pockets with more and more money. So honestly, congrats to Bono for learning a very, very, very valuable lesson. Well, I found this from the Washington Post while I was doing my research for the show, setting everything up for the show today. And it the title of this article is, Here's Exactly How Your Diet Affects the Planet, A Landmark Study Finds. Eco-friendly eaters know that almonds are a water-intensive crop, that fish farms pollute the water, or that beef consumption drives deforestation. But a study Monday goes far broader and deeper, offering a new guide to weighing total ecological consequences of crops and livestock and seafood. Researchers amassed data on food production and its impact on Earth, including disturbances to wild animal habitats, water use, pollution, contribution to planetary warming. Their findings reveal what type of food production has the greatest consequences. Ooh, I'm excited to see this one. Oh boy. So the the study was published in the Journal of Natural Sustainability that examined 99% of all food production on land and sea as reported to the UN in 2017, which offers a new way to evaluate uh, what to eat and how to feed the world, according to its lead author at the university over in California. Uh, we, so, what what exactly, what exactly is uh, what we're left with? Well, according to this, pigs and cattle rank as the top environmental uh, environmental offenders. Unsurprisingly, pig and cattle meat uh, ranked far ahead of any other products with cattle having a massive impact on greenhouse gas emissions and pigs on water quality, but pork may have a larger environmental cost than beef when factoring in that so much pig waste ends up polluting waterways. Nutrient uh, pollution from animal waste and fertilizers cause algae blooms in waterways, which can eventually create dead zones of water contam containing little or no dissolved oxygen. As well, seafood affects the o or affects the land, not just the ocean. Uh, the study raised questions about sustainability of seafood, finding that it has an outsized impact on shores as well as off our coast. Aquatic systems produce 1.1% of the world's food. They account for 9.9% of all food systems in the global environmental food footprint. Oh, ooh, oh. But let, let, let's continue down. Let's let's continue down. What about what about our crops? You know what about those ones? Rice, wheat ranked the same tier of environmental impacts as animal-based uh, products, including cow milk, uh, chicken meat, largely because growing the grains requires so much water. But also, they are grown in such massive quantities around the world that their disturbances to natural habitats and ecology are magnified. It doesn't really surprise me. Just to put in some perspective, five countries account for nearly half of all food system impacts. India, China, U.S., 
Brazil, and Pakistan. That's probably the weirdest one out of all of them. Kind of the weirdest one out of all of them. For, uh, so it looks like beef production in Brazil has a larger environmental impact than is attributed to the U.S. cattle industry, though Brazil produces 10% less meat than the U.S. So, yeah. I mean, even though there's been plenty of stuff that have come out that shows that the actual, you know, planting of crops, that veganism is actually worse for the environment, hey, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, so for this next bit, I'm I'm going to show you a video from a woman who uh, works with the curriculum out in uh, South Carolina and her words on how they've infiltrated the classroom with CRT. I, I work with school leadership teams to help improve schools and providing curriculum support. So we look at a number of data points uh, around equity. My organization has worked with Meadowland Elementary, River Bluff, Lexington Middle, which is now Lakeside. So the leadership teams at the schools that I just named, familiar, like, with they, have, they currently work with my organization. We are working on a curriculum, but the curriculum, it is really about it's inclusive of culturally relevant teaching. And so some of the topics that we explore are gonna to be topics that mainstream, that, uh, that kind of go against mainstream teaching. It's gonna begin with your school leadership team before it can go on to your school staff. I would first start with an assessment of what are your beliefs about the state of affairs in this country? Like, what do you think, uh, tell me about your privilege. Do you enjoy any privileges? What parts of your identity are privileged? So I would ask that to you, Adam. What, what parts of your identity are privileged? As a white male, there, here are some of the here are some of the privileges that I enjoy. But it starts with that kind of conversation before we, because this is really heavy stuff for people who, who as soon as they see this, it's, they're turned off. Uh, keep in mind that some of the schools she listed are elementary schools. I'd like to remind you that elementary schools are, what, up to 11 years old, I think? Yeah, no, wait. Yeah, about, like, 11. 11 year olds. There are 11 year olds asking, how much do you feel privileged? There are even kids that are probably younger, that are, like, 8 or 7 or 9, that are literally getting asked, well, how, how much are you privileged? Privileged? Bitch, what the fuck? I am eight. What privileges do you think I know about, bitch? I don't even know what my like left or right hand is. What what is what do we what how do you put on shoes properly? What? So this is really academic. For example, culturally relevant pedagogy. Academically, that's the term culturally relevant pedagogy. But when we start walking into school doors, we we spend less time calling it that and more like. Uh, respecting students' cultures or bringing the culture into the classroom and uh, honoring and respecting them. Tenets of critical race theory are this social construct, race is a social construction, race is endemic. It's, it's, it's actually normal. Counter narratives is this idea that with, for every, so you're reading the United States Constitution 
Every time you read the Constitution, you're going to read a counter narrative that is by some uh, person of color, and they will give you their experience. Critical race theory is usually like law and legislation. So the law might say all men are created equal. Mm. All, all men in this, all, all people in this country over the age of 18 have a right to vote, right? My counter narrative would say, as someone who lives in Atlanta, my governor is making it harder to vote. And so for every law, there's a counter narrative, but no one wants to hear the counter narrative. Uh, I, I would like a uh, reasoning on how, how, how has it been made harder for, for you to vote? I, I would like to know as there's been record, re record turnout. Uh, well, the thing is back in 94, we knew that this wasn't going to happen. Now we, we realize in 2022, like. You have some people who are really, who are willing to be allies, and you have some people who are willing to be co-conspirators. An ally is someone who says, yeah, that's right. I, I think that this is something that this would benefit our students. It would benefit everyone. Let me know if you need any help with that, right? That's an ally. A co-conspirator is, I'm willing to do this work in my classroom, even if I get in trouble and have conversations. I think you're absolutely right about like not using the term pro-voice theory because that's going to be a, a turn off or in, in terms of getting people to to sit down and listen that will that will close off ears because so many people have heard it now and it has been linked. Don't even, you don't. Yeah, yeah, I wonder why people wouldn't like it if you, you know, use the term critical race theory for the thing you're doing because people are turned off by something that nobody wants because it's just racism being taught to children. Hmm, I wonder why. I'm talking about me, just talk about EL. They, they know EL in this district. It's at a number of schools. My passion lies around equity and in any- Ah, equity. Oh, that's a good passion. The good passion of a racist form of fashion and providing a space where all people, particularly people of color, people who uh, are not, who have an identity that is not mainstream, that, that does not enjoy privilege to be able to thrive and be successful. That's Every person has privilege. Everyone. Everyone gets their own privileges. If that's your case. As well, you literally just basically said you wanted segregation. Yeah, that's what it's what you said, not me. That's what you said. These, these people are idiotic and crazy. Literally, the civil rights movement was literally fought to desegregate segregate the country, and now you have people in 2022 wanting literal segregation again. Uh, Jim Crow 2.0. You are Jim Crow 2.0. You yourself are trying to literally push yourself back before the 1960s, before the civil rights law of nine. That's where my passion lies. Where can I, as a as a person who does not identify with any of the identities that have that enjoy privilege, where can I, where can I thrive and be successful? That's it. Sometimes classrooms are not spaces where. Uh, 
LGBTQIA children feel safe. Sometimes classrooms are not places where Muslim children feel safe. First off, what child has ever felt safe in a classroom? That person's a crazy person. Okay, I can tell you this from experience as a kid. I didn't, when people would say, you should really be very much uh, trusting of your school. Bitch, I don't trust you guys. No one does. Literally everybody in, like, comments to each other will be like, I don't trust the school. Screw those guys. Like, whoever feels safe at school, not even because of, like, a shooting or anything like that. It's just, they know, everyone knows how lackluster school security is. Even when I went to a school that literally had a had a thing happen at it when I was really, really young. And even then, I went to that school later on, just showing the, like, little to no improvements they've made, just shows that, no, you're never going to feel safe until more people are armed in that school. It wills, in a lot of schools, that's the main thing. If more people are armed, the faster that person gets taken down. Sometimes classrooms are not spaces where children of color, particularly Latinx or black children or Native American children, feel safe. I just want to change it to safe spaces. Uh, safe spaces. Or she, or is, uh, translated to, you know, American, I want segregated classrooms for all those particular people so that they can be taken, or so that they aren't anywhere near anybody that is of white and is cis. That's what that means. That's what that means. Mm -hmm. But it, it does get fantastic for everybody. So out in D.C., the District of Columbia Public School System sent out a... Uh, sent out a email that uh, said this. Oh boy, oh boy. So, uh, via email, the students will be surveyed during class about their social-emotional learning environment. Part of the survey asked students in, the grade, in grades 3 and beyond to share their transgender and gender nonconformity status. Uh, end quote. As in previous years, the survey asked students in six through twelve, uh, in grades six through twelve, about their gender and sex sexual sexual identity. Email to parents reads: uh, The questions help the district promote equitable treatment for all students in accordance with our transgender and non-conforming policies and guidance. Uh, the email notes that parents can, in fact, opt their child out from taking the survey though it may be administered during class, so it still will happen anyway. Uh, the student survey asks two questions about student sexual uh, and transgender uh, identity. One prompt allows the student to check other uh, when describing their identity. Uh, the other asks students about their transgender status, provides I am not sure if I am transgender, is literally one of the options. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, that's such a... Yes. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, I'm so happy. So happy. Oh, man. Definitely don't pull your kids out of there, because that would be really bad. Mm, mm. That'd be really bad. Oh, man. That's, 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 that would be terrible. Well, to finish up today, of course, Elon Musk 
as he, of course, arrived at Twitter loca- uh, Twitter HQ this or earlier today, saying, let that sink in. Literally carrying a sink with him, by the way. Well, of course, this came out the other day, is that there are Twitter employees that have a apparent open letter uh, to Elon Musk. So, uh, let's... Uh, full text of the open letter uh, saying this. Staff Elon Musk, board of directors. We, the undesigned, uh, underdesigned Twitter workers, believe the public conversation is in jeopardy. Elon Musk plans to lay off 75% of Twitter workers uh, will hurt Twitter's ability to serve the public conversation. A threat of this magnitude is reckless, undermines our users and customers, trust in our platform, as uh, and as a transparent act of worker intimidation. Twitter has significant effects on societies and communities across the globe. As we speak, Twitter is helping to uplift independent journalism in Ukraine and Iran, as well as powering social movements around the world. Uh, we demand Elon Musk explicitly commit to preserve our benefits. The Those both listed are in the merger agreement and not... Uh, e.g. or basically remote work, we demand le- uh, leadership to establish and ensure fair severance policies for all workers before and after any change in ownership. We demand transparent, uh, prompt, and thoughtful communication around our working conditions. We demand to be treated with dignity and not be treated as mere pawns in, game- in a game played by billionaires. Uh... Just just gonna say it, uh, a lot of you didn't want to work under him anyway, and uh, I don't don't think it's gonna go over well. I don't think it's gonna work. As, a, as wise commentators once said, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Truly, truly. It's a bold strategy, Cotton, but we will see if it pays off. I mean, come on, come on. That's 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 fine. That's fine. But yeah, no, the the deal with Twitter and Elon Musk should be finishing up this Friday. So hopefully, I'll maybe bring you that on Monday, just because obviously there is no show on Friday it's because of my birthday. So of course, of course, we will bring you that on, of course, Monday, most likely when that happens, or maybe it will come out on Monday either way. We'll see. But yeah, no, uh, most likely Elon Musk is buying Twitter. Twitter's most likely going to become better because, I mean, it, I don't know how in any way Elon Musk could get make Twitter even worse than it already is. I really don't understand how that could possibly happen. But hey, you know what? I've been wrong before. So, who knows? Who knows? But, yes, an open letter sent by Twitter employees that are so entitled that I am... Pretty sure, pretty sure uh, it ain't going to work out for them and that they will all be gone. Well, if you did enjoy today's episode and you do want to support the show, subscribe wherever you are listening, review on a podcast, follow on Twitter and True Social, check out mercury.org to support those who are, of course, suffering from Hurricane Ian and its effects, and check out the news list on Twitter. And as well, of course, uh, tomorrow we'll, of course, we'll do the Libs of TikTok fun time where we, of course, see the brain dam and get, 
we see the brain damage of those on TikTok and we get a little bit of ourselves as well as a little bit of cancer so that we'll need a bit of chemo and become bald. So of course, tune in tomorrow for that because obviously there will be no show Friday as I just recently mentioned because of my birthday, I'll be taking that day off of doing the show. But of course, join me tomorrow for the Thursday edition of the show. That's basically the Friday edition because we're going to have a great time. I'll see you then, and hopefully not as late as this is at night. Anyway, I'll see you all tomorrow for another episode of the Political Panda Program. This has been me, Jacob, signing off.